Before we get going with this week's show, word from our friends at Sam Houston Race Park. The big race day has come and gone, but that doesn't mean that great racing is over at Sam Houston Race Park. Remember, SHRP has an industry low takeout of 12% on all horizontal wagers. 12% on all horizontal wagers. Just one of the many reasons to pay attention to Sam Houston Race Park. For more information, go to SHRP.com. Now on to episode 109. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, March the 28th, 2022. It's episode 109 of the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many, many ways to find the podcast anywhere you download your podcast. Apple Pods, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you're someone who likes to watch along or listen over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernier Show. Get this episode along with the 108 prior, and while you're over there, subscribe to the In The Money Media YouTube channel. Make sure that bell icon is lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded. And same deal wherever you download your pods. Make sure you subscribe, you give us a rating, a little bit of a review. It helps us get things out to a number of different folks, and it's always greatly appreciated. This week's show, we're going to talk about the Louisiana Derby. Not going to talk about the Fairgrounds Oaks. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. But we've got some big weeks coming up as far as derby preps are concerned. And for the Phillies, I want to try to condense it a little bit. There's just a a, a pretty, I think, valid point that I want to make about the Louisiana Derby. So we're going to highlight that at the top. Then we'll roll into handicapping this weekend's Arkansas Derby. Keep in mind, the Florida Derby is also going to be run on Saturday. Those PPs won't be released probably until Wednesday night or so. The good news about Oakland, we've already got full fields drawn. So we'll dive into that. Not the sexiest race, for being honest. Not the fastest race from a figure standpoint with the horses coming into it. But intriguing nonetheless. Obviously, many people are intrigued by Secret Oath being involved running against the boys. We'll touch on that and we'll wrap things up with a look ahead to the weekend. Specifically on Saturday. And not horses. It's the final four and it is all the Blue Bloods. It's Carolina and Duke, which is outrageous that here we are. A spot in the national championship game on the line, and it comes down to the Tar Heels and the Blue Devils. And then on the other side, we've got Villanova and Kansas. I'll give you projections and one wager that I've already made. There's another wager that I'll I'll wait and see as we get a little bit closer to Saturday. But just we'll talk about those two games briefly, give you some projections and things like that. But let's talk about the Louisiana Derby. Epicenter wins, wins comfortably by more than two lengths. He earns a very fast buyer speed figure of 102 for this time of year from a Timeform U.S. standpoint. He earns a 118. Now, I, I had mentioned, oh boy, let's say you go back to, well, I guess it would have been after the LeCompte. No, after the Risen Star. That I had reservations about the buyer compared to the Timeform U.S. rating. The Timeform U.S. rating was roughly four or five points, or at least my, my projection, the way that I was looking at the figs was that the buyer was a little bit on the high side. That was probably closer to a 93, somewhere thereabouts, as opposed to the 98 that Epicenter earned. And when you look at the difference between the buyer number and the Timeform US number for this race in the Louisiana Derby, I think you could argue that there's roughly a three-point difference where the buyer may be slightly on the high side. But that's really if you're... You don't have to even go that far into the weeds. I mean, we're really kind of splitting hairs at that point over two or three points here or there. But I just figured it was something worth acknowledging. That's the way that I'm approaching it. The buyer may be slightly high 
just simply based on what the horses behind Epicenter did and what their career bests had been prior to Saturday's race. So pulling up the Timeform US chart, 119 unadjusted number for Epicenter. Pace adjusted to 118. So we'll go with the We'll go with the number that doesn't factor in the pace scenario, and I know that's arguably the most impressive and best piece of Timeform US. I just like to use my own noodle and, and put it into context how I see fit. So 119 for Epicenter here, a 102 buyer. Again, we talk about that 20-point differential. It still boils down to roughly three points between the two. If you take three off of the 102, you're still looking at a 99 for Epicenter from a buyer standpoint. It still makes him one of the fastest three-year-olds. And more importantly... I mentioned it either last week or the week before. I don't remember. I apologize. My brain is scrambled. But the thing that concerned me about Epicenter, as much as I loved him, and as good in quality as I thought he was, his running style, he had still done his absolute best when he was controlling things on the front end. And given the other speed that appears to be signed on for the Kentucky Derby, assuming they all get there, it seemed incredibly unlikely that he was going to be able to get up there and run with the Forbidden Kingdoms of the world, the early votings of the world, and anybody else that's got serious gas. And what he did on Saturday was alleviate all those concerns. And it looked like a concerted effort, and I think that was the thing that I liked the most. He broke very alertly. When Zozo's to the inside is intent on going, Pioneer of Medina is intent on going, Rosario Pulls him back a little bit. Got a little bit pinched in there between early on, but didn't get him lit up or anything. And, and part of the reason I have been as high on Epicenter as I have, and you can go back to the first race we talked about at the fairgrounds this year, I said, he's the real deal. He is the goods. I would almost, I almost want to have producer Craig pull that clip, that little bit, and throw it in here. I'm not going to do that. It's too much work. But point is, from day one, I thought this was a derby horse and possibly Asmussen's derby winner which he is, it's the only thing missing from his resume. But his professionalism from day one has been his hallmark, the thing that I've loved the most about him. And then in this spot here, when he does get pinched a little bit early on, and you see him kind of throw his head up, but he's not losing his mind. He quickly refocuses. Everything is good. Let those two go. Tucks into the pocket. Two fists full of dynamite. Rosario waits, waits, waits. Far turn, tips him out into the clear. And really, once he gets out into that 4-5 path at the top of the lane, it's a visually stunning kick, in my opinion. I know he doesn't win by seven, but the way that he puts away at least one good horse, if not two. I've made it clear I'm a little unsure what I actually think about Pioneer of Medina. To be fair, he ran pretty well here. Zozos is really interesting simply because he is very lightly raced, and what they have thrown at him in a short amount of time, I thought he acquitted himself very well. To run as well as he did, yes, he was setting the fractions, and I've said it before, typically when a horse is able to control things on the front, that's when they're going to do their best. But for him being as lightly raced as he is, as inexperienced as he is, and going out to a mile and three sixteenths for the first time, I thought Zozos ran really well. But he was no match for Epicenter. And for Epicenter to sit, tip, kick, and finish with his ears up, and he galloped out all the way around the clubhouse turn out onto the backside. I mean, it was just, to me, it looked like a Kentucky Derby winner. And I'm not sitting here right now saying he's, you know, slam dunk going to be the horse that I end up picking the first Saturday in May. But I started thinking about it a little bit more, not just from a fig standpoint, but from a visually impressive final prep. 
and I'm projecting a little bit here, there's still many 100-point preps left to be run. And worth noting, I'm not talking about the UAE Derby. Maybe we'll do that at some point down the road. But as far as the United States is concerned, there are still many 100-point preps left. In fact, all of them, other than this one. But from a visually impressive standpoint, it seems, I don't want to say unlikely, but someone's going to have to really run a crack race to upend this as the most impressive final performance, in my opinion. Because he ticked all the boxes. If you want to debate what ran behind him, that's fine. If you want to debate if the fig is a little bit high, that's fine as well. But to me, he he has shown all the traits of a Kentucky Derby winner. From day one, the professionalism there, the speed is there, the connections are there. Everything is there. He is, to me, the perfect outfit at this point. And now, when I bring up the most impressive final prep before the Derby itself, the reason I think that's important is just based on recent history. Now, not all of these are quite as impressive in my opinion, is the way Epicenter won the Louisiana Derby. Some of them are even more impressive than the way he won the Derby. But to just put into sort of context what a performance like that typically, I don't want to say indicates, but could be a a bit of a precursor to the first Saturday in May. There are some exceptions in here. But just work with me, and I'm sure maybe some of you will disagree. And, and I'm curious all of your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. I went through the past 10, going back to 2012, the past 10 Kentucky Derbies. And by my estimation, l- tried to pull out the most impressive final preps before the Kentucky Derby. And how those horses then did the first Saturday in May. So going back to last year in 2021, I think there's a case to be made that Rock Your World had the most impressive final prep leading into the Derby. He ended up going off as the 9-2 second choice. And I'm also bringing in the odds for all these horses. For those of you that are taking a look, uh, Ron Flatter wrote an article over on HorseRacingNation.com updating some of the Derby future odds out in Vegas. And the only reason I I even want to acknowledge this is to show you don't don't settle on the prices that you've got right now. These these are far too short right now compared to what you're going to end up getting the first Saturday in May should he get there. Knock on wood, everything goes well. But I mean he's he's five and six to one at at a couple of books. You're you're gonna get something damn close to that on uh, day of. So what good does it do to lock up your money for the next five weeks? or six weeks, when you may not, it, it, he may not even get to the race. Again, God forbid that happens. But my point is, just wait till day of and take seven to two, something like that. You don't, you don't need to settle for five or six to one right now. And if you need that extra, you know, point and a half or two points that badly, uh, find a, I don't know, the eighth race at Parks today or something. I don't know. Point is, Rock Your World was the 9-2 second choice. He probably goes off favored if Mattress Mac doesn't bet a, a boatload of cash on essential quality. Rock Your World finishes 17th. He's 16th officially via disqualification. Not ideal, but there were questions going into the Kentucky Derby. I mean, his prior to that Santa Anita Derby, he was a grass horse. And he never really panned out in time. He's since been retired. But 
He won the Santa Anita Derby by more than four lengths. He earned a 100 buyer and a 120 time form U.S. rating. All the time form U.S. ratings I'll talk about with these horses are the ones that are not adjusted for pace. These are just the, the numbers. So very comparable as far as the numbers in the final prep prior to the Derby. That's about as bad as it's going to get from a performance standpoint for any of these horses that we're going to talk about. 2020, I didn't use it all. Obviously, it's COVID. 2019, maximum security. He was the 9-2 second choice in the Kentucky Derby. He finishes first. He was disqualified 17th for the interference. Uh, but prior to the Derby, he finished first in the Florida Derby. Won by three and a half lengths. He earned a 101 buyer and a 120 time form U.S. rating. Keeping in mind, we're comparing all this to Epicenter, who earned a 102 buyer and a 119 time form U.S. rating. So maximum security in the books finishes 17th, but he crossed the wire first. 2018, Justify. He went off as the 5-2 favorite. Again, keeping in mind, you've heard 9-2, 9-2, and 5-2. You'd be settling on 5-1 or 6-1 if you bet Epicenter today at either one of these Vegas books. Uh, Justify, he finishes first in the Kentucky Derby. In his race prior, he won the Santa Anita Derby by three lengths. He earned a 107 buyer and a 133 time form U.S. rating. So considerably faster than Epicenter, but if we're just talking about it from who was visually the most impressive in their final start preceding the Kentucky Derby. Now we've had three horses. We've had two horses that have crossed the wire first, uh, and we had one that just didn't show up, unfortunately. He also, to be fair to Rocky World, he got bounced around out of the gate, but I digress. 2017, always dreaming. Went off at the, as the 9-2 favorite. Four and a half to one, he was the favorite. So again, five to one and six to one right now in Vegas. And I'm sure... I'll, offshore or anywhere else that you could bet on these horses. You, I mean, you, you very well could get something close to that day of. Always dreaming. 92 favorite. He wins the Kentucky Derby in his race prior. He wins the Florida Derby by five lengths, earns a 97 buyer and a 124 time form U.S. rating. So again, buyer standpoint, he epicenters actually run faster already. Time form U.S., slightly slower. But if you want to average the two of them out, you're looking at somewhere in that you know low 100 range from a buyer standpoint and a low uh, low 120 time form US rating. Point being, he stacks up very very comparably to the horses that we've all talked about to this point, maybe with the exception of Justify. 2016, the most impressive prep prior to the Kentucky Derby I have listed as Exaggerator, even though Nyquist ended up winning. But we'll talk about both of them. Exaggerator went off as the second choice in the Kentucky Derby at five to one. He finishes second in the race prior to the Kentucky Derby. He wins the Santa Anita Derby by more than six lengths, earning a 103 buyer and a 120 time form U.S. rating. So almost identical numbers to Epicenter's Louisiana Derby. Again, he was 5-1 to one in the Kentucky Derby, and he finished second. Nyquist, 2-1 to one favorite in the Derby, wins. He had won the Florida Derby in his race prior by more than three lengths, and actually did so in relatively slow time. 92 buyer, 116 time form U.S. rating. But the two most impressive final preps for 2016, they came back and ran 1-2 in the Kentucky Derby. 2015, American Pharaoh. I have him as the most impressive. There's another horse that we can talk about in a minute, though, in this crop that arguably ran more impressive leading into the Derby. Farrow goes off as the 5-2 favorite in Louisville. He wins the race. His race prior was in the Arkansas Derby, which he won by eight lengths, earned a 105 buyer and a 121 time form U.S. rating. 
relatively similar numbers to what we saw from Epicenter. Visually, though, keeping in mind, Epicenter did it from off the pace. Pharaoh, he did the same thing, just not quite as far back. If you wanted to really question, okay, well, Pharaoh's final prep was great and all, but firing line actually was more impressive visually, winning the Sunland Derby and his final prep leading into Louisville. What was his deal? Well, he went off as the fourth choice in the Kentucky Derby at odds of 9-1. to one. He finished second, and that aforementioned Sunland Derby. He won by more than 14 lengths, and he earned a 103 buyer speed figure. But you're picking up a trend here that if you are that good, that impressive, and your numbers are comparable, it, it, it's becoming increasingly difficult to see a scenario in which Epicenter's not hitting the board in the Kentucky Derby. And we've gone through 2015. How about 2014? California Chrome. He goes off as the 5-2 favorite in Louisville. He wins the race. His race prior, he wins the Santa Anita Derby by more than five lengths. 107 buyer, 121 time form U.S. rating in the same ballpark. 2013, if you can, uh, I guess it would be Verrazano as far as the most impressive final prep leading into the Kentucky Derby. Or, I guess, I didn't use either of them. And for what it's worth, Orb ended up winning the Kentucky Derby. But I, point is, 2013, it was kind of meh. And as far as history is concerned, it was kind of meh. Overall. Actually, the best horses will take charge out of all of them. But neither here nor there. And then 2012. Bodie Meister, I thought was the most impressive leading into Louisville. He goes off as the 4-1 to one favorite. He finishes second in the race. Prior to that, he'd won the Arkansas Derby by more than nine lengths, 108 buyer, 123 time form U.S. rating. As far as the actual winner of the Kentucky Derby in 2012, I'll have another. He actually went off as the ninth choice at 15-1. to one. So he's really the only outlier as far as being just totally sort of disrespected at the windows. He wins the Kentucky Derby. And in his race prior, he won the Santa Anita Derby by a nose over creative cause with a 95 buyer, and more importantly, a 120 time form U.S. rating. So, long and short, what this would suggest from a visual standpoint, we'll find out what happens in the Florida Derby, we'll find out what happens in the Arkansas Derby, or next weekend, the big one, the Wood Memorial, the Bluegrass, the Santa Anita Derby, all being run. I'll be at Aqueduct for NBC. Point is, you've got roughly five more big preps left. Are any of them going to produce victories that are more impressive than what you saw on Saturday in New Orleans from Epicenter? It's possible. I don't think it's likely. If there is a jurisdiction that could produce it, perhaps it's California. If we do end up with sort of a, a Messier Forbidden Kingdom showdown. Messier, who is now with Tim Yachtin, which again, by the way, go back a few weeks if you haven't if you weren't listening, I brought it up. So we, we're getting to a point where if you've got a horse in Baffert's barn and you think they're a proper Derby or Oaks candidate, I mean, they got to make a decision. And eventually the decision was made. Oh, and by the way, we're not talking about the Dubai World Cup tonight, but obviously we saw what happened with country grammar. All I tweeted after the race was, I don't know why he has always sort of been ignored as far as being one of the faster American horses the past two years. I know he has been very lightly raced because of injury, but when he's run, he's run fast. So it's not a stunner. People are acting like he was a complete bum. He's, he's never, even when Chad Brown had him as a three-year-old, he wasn't a bum. 
He was kind of green, kind of goofy, but Country Grammar's always been a good horse. Again, I digress. Epicenter is going to be very difficult to beat, assuming he continues to progress and stays healthy between now and May 7th, whatever the first Saturday in May is this year. May 7th. On figs, with all of these performances that I laid out from these horses, he stacks up very well. Visually, he stacks up very well. And I guess most importantly, I was just unsure how his running style was going to translate because I didn't think he was naturally as fast, perhaps, as the California horses. Or maybe even one of the horses in New York, assuming early voting runs well in the wood. Now that's really not that important because he has shown that he can stay within shouting distance and still be as effective. I, I, in fact, he may have been even more impressive on Saturday. I thought it was a spectacular performance, and I think he's going to be a handful in the Kentucky Derby. Been on the epicenter bandwagon for a while now. It's going to be a short price in whatever races he runs. But I think he's the goods. I think he's going to be on the short list, if not the shortest list, meaning the pick for the Kentucky Derby this year. Uh, he, he ticks all the boxes, and he looks like he could be a proper runner. And if you think about all of the Asmussen and Winchell sort of tandems over the past handful of years, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. It's not fair to be comparing a horse like this this early in their career to a horse like Gunrunner. But let's just use last year's big three-year-old, Midnight Bourbon, who's a very good horse. But to me, it's it's no contest. I mean, at this point in the in time... In, in relation to one another, Epicenter is a far, far better horse. I would even argue at this point in their careers, Epicenter is a far better horse than Gunrunner was. Not saying he's going to turn into Gunrunner. But Epicenter is a damn good horse. Let me know what your thoughts are about the Louisiana Derby. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Epicenter spectacular winning this race. He goes into Louisville as one of, if not the horse to beat. We'll find out how things shake out in the next couple weeks as far as the final preps are concerned. But I think there's a real chance that Asmussen has his derby winner right here. He's very, very good. And don't sleep on Zozos. Personally, I would almost rather than wait for the Preakness. That's just me. I understand, though, if they've got their points, they want to run the first Saturday in May, have at it. Uh, I think he's a very good horse. And the distance did not get him, which was my big concern with that pedigree. Uh, he just got beat by a better horse on the day. Epicenter, 102 buyer, 119 pace unadjusted. Time form US rating. Uh, he's going to be one of the horses to beat in Louisville. Who's he going to take on, though? We're going to find out at least one, if not two, horses coming out of the Arkansas Derby at Oaklawn on Saturday. It's been a rather, uh, let's call it, uh, suspect group down in Arkansas this winter, as far as the three-year-olds are concerned. We do have some added intrigue, though, with the Philly taking on the boys. Let's talk about the Arkansas Derby, shall we? Before we dive into the Arkansas Derby, a word from our friends at Santa Anita Park, and it's the Santa Anita Pick'em Contest. Play for $500 each Saturday, Sunday, and holiday Monday through April the 17th. It's a free contest that combines popular sports and racing props for a fun, competitive, and free contest. You can sign up for free over at santaanita.com slash pick'em. I didn't mention the prep rating for the Louisiana Derby. If you couldn't tell with me uh, waxing poetic about Epicenter, it's 10. It's a 10 because he is going to be a factor in the Kentucky Derby. 
if not possibly the winner. So Louisiana Derby's a 10. Arkansas Derby doesn't seem like it's going to be a 10, but crazier things have happened. Three-year-olds, a mile and an eighth at Oakland Park on Saturday afternoon. It's race number 12. Going to go through the field. We'll take them in post-position order. I will also give you what I would deem to be fair odds on each one of these runners. Before we start, I preface it by saying I don't like the local horses that have run in graded stakes, aside from the Philly. I think it's just a very average group. I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but I just... There's, there are nine horses entered. I'll be very surprised if a group of five end up winning. To me, there are only four horses that can win the race. If one of the other five do, uh, to me, it's it's just an indictment on the field as a whole. Uh, it and again, you, you understand why everyone's trying, but I just from what they've done, I have a hard time seeing true contenders out of a group of five anyway for this race and then going forward in the immediate future, maybe down the road. Some of these horses can be a little bit later developing as well. Uh, But I think this is a race that boils down to four, and even those four you can really debate. So let's start down on the inside with Cavid, or Cavad, should say. The blinkers come off for Chris Hartman. This is a horse that's going to show speed in a race that doesn't seem to have a ton of early gas, so maybe that works to this one's advantage. I have a difficult time with a horse like this who in each of the last four starts has earned buyers of 80, 76, 79, and 81. You're going to need to hope that the blinkers coming off get this horse to move forward. Um, I suppose you can look at the Rebel and say, of the pace, this is the one that stuck around. Maybe that's a feather in the cap, but if you'll recall, when I went over that race, I gave it a prep rating of one because I thought it was a dreadful, dreadful race. And to no surprise, the horses coming out of that race are part of that group of five. I just don't want any of them. I don't think it's a particularly good race. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But of the group, maybe Kavad is the one who could be dangerous because of the speed. I made him 25 to 1. I don't love his chances in here. Uh, I, I think if you're Mitchell Merle, you got a break and you just send and you try to take him as long as you can. I'm dubious, but... Crazier things have happened, especially with the tactical advantage that this one could have. Uh, not a huge fan of the inside runner. Made him 25-1. to 1. Chasing time also comes out of the Rebel. Didn't think we saw a great deal of running from this horse. Uh, maybe if things start to heat up a little bit. Figures to be forwardly placed, but not outright on the leader pushing it. Um, I, another horse that I'm just not thrilled with. 30-1 to 1 for me for the number two, Chasing Time. Number three is Barber Road. I know many people like this horse. We have seen late runs in each of the past two starts from this horse, trained by John Ortiz. I think John Ortiz does a really good job. I'm just not in love with this horse. We have four races, and even if you want to go back to the 75 buyer earned in the allowance race going six and a half at Churchill at the beginning of November last year, 75, 84, 78, 86, 83, you've got really, really small improvements each and every time. Now, I'll admit, My assessment of the Southwest, in hindsight, is probably way, way wrong. I'd given it an 8 because I believed in New Grange. He came back and bombed in the Rebel at a short, short price. Part of the reason I don't like the Rebel, but also when Unoho, who looked like he's beat at the top of the lane, rallies back on the inside, you can look at that one of two ways. If you're kind and charitable, you look at it and say, look at him battle. He rallied on the inside. He likes a good fight. Look at him go get it. Positive. Or... Or you can take the opinion that I have that he's beat at the top of the lane. How does no one else finish? And he's able to come back on the inside and get the job done. 
again, to me, my opinion, my estimation, bad sign for a bad race. Barber Road, if you think this thing completely falls apart and none of the fresh faces can run, then maybe it's him. And maybe it's him anyway. Because Timeform US suggests he's not that far off the other players, the fresh faces. I just want to see it against what I think is a much better group than he's been facing. By and large, I think the Arkansas horses, I've said it for a while now, I think Arkansas and Florida are a cut below. Arkansas is kind of bringing up the rear at this point. New York, debatable, but I do think there's some talent up there. This horse is sort of the best of the bad group to this point, in my opinion. And again, I, I can't stress it enough. I've been wrong before in cases like this, but I've also been right a fair bit. And I'm, I'm just not sold on the Arkansas form, the established graded stakes form for the three-year-olds in Arkansas. I made Barber Road 15-1 to 1 for Saturday's Arkansas Derby. Doppelganger, another horse I don't love. But fresh face comes in, now trained by Tim Yachtin, was transferred out of the Baffert Barn. Blinkers are coming off. Comes out of the San Felipe where he's no match for Forbidden Kingdom, but I'm not going to hold that against him. He does have some positives. Paired up buyer tops of 89. I think that can precede a forward move. I mean, a forward move from 89s, he's already among the fastest in the race. A forward move, he's considerably faster than any of the Arkansas horses, and then the other fresh faces would need to step up if Doppelganger can move up to a 95 or a 98 or even a triple-digit buyer. I'm dubious. I don't know how good the horse actually is. He tried to route last time. I thought he stayed on. But, again, it's so hard to tell. When you get, when you get handed a, a horse like Forbidden Kingdom, who does something pretty spectacular. I think it becomes that much more difficult to really, truly gauge what everybody else is in behind him. I could be getting fooled into thinking that Doppelganger is just meh. I thought his San Vicente was eh. You know, his debut, fine. Broke his maiden at Los Al. We know Los Al can be quirky. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sold on him. But I acknowledge that he is one of the more likely winners. I made him 6-1. to one. He's going to be shorter than that in all likelihood. But if for whatever reason he is 6, that's he becomes really interesting at that point for the reasons that I already touched on. Paired up buyers of 89, you don't need to be much to win this race. If he does take any forward step, he's in with a big chance. Um, may not love him, but he fits in here. I made him six to one, and that may be a little bit unkind. He, he maybe I should pump him up a little bit, but um, we'll get to the reason that he is six to one in a little bit. Unoho, winner of that rebel. Don't want to take anything away from him for rallying the way that he did on the inside. It was a gutsy effort. Don't get me wrong, but you you can't help but wonder a little bit when you see that. What's more likely that he is as tenacious as tenacious gets, or he happened to catch a really soft group that didn't want to finish the deal, and he said, fine, I'll do it. I think it's much more likely that's the case than he is some, you know, ultra-competitive grinder. But we'll find out on Saturday. He's one for one at Oaklawn. I don't think the distance is going to be an issue for him at all. Uh, I, I do wonder a little bit about quality. Having said that, he has never taken a backward step on the buyer scale. 17, 53, 61, 62, 80, 84, and it's worth noting the two best races of his career have come 
going a mile and a sixteenth or greater. So perhaps I'm underselling his chances. I made him 13 to 1. I have him as the likeliest of the horses coming out of the Rebel, which, as I've said, uh, said a, a couple times, at 13 to 1, I don't think you're that likely a winner. Secret Oath. Bit of a uh, polarizing entrant in this race. The three-year-old filly taking on the boys for the coach. I, I've said a few times in the past that I am all for this move. If you, She has her points for the Kentucky Oaks. Barring something crazy. I was looking at the leaderboard. She's got 60 points. She's tied for second right now. I, I mean, I suppose there's a scenario that all hell breaks loose and you get a number of horses who don't have points now or have very few points that win or run second in the final preps, and all of a sudden, what would she need, 12 horses to pass her to bump her out? I mean, I, I guess it's possible. I don't think it's likely. So with that idea, I love this idea, this path for her. If she runs big, great. Now everyone has an idea and, and a choice to make. Do you want to go to the Kentucky Derby or do you want to go to the Kentucky Oaks? Let's say she wins but earns, um, she has a career best buyer of 93 right now. Let's say she earns a 95 buyer and let's say it's good enough to win or even run second. Based on what we saw from Epicenter on Saturday, who knows what will happen in the Florida Derby coming up this Saturday and who knows what will happen in the three big preps next weekend. But I think it's safe to say a 95 buyer would not make you super confident going into a race like the Kentucky Derby. Now, on the other hand, after what we saw from Echo Zulu on Saturday in the Fairgrounds Oaks with an 88 buyer in her return, a 95 buyer stacks up pretty good. So, but this is what makes a move like this all the more, I think, rational. Because what if she all of a sudden pops a 100 buyer? Sure, she could win the Oaks, and guess what? The good news is you got your points in your back pocket. You can still go to the Oaks if you want. But if she runs 100 here, no, maybe she's not the fastest of the three-year-olds, but she's right there with them all. And that's, that, that's been my only point all along when talking about this idea, especially in Arkansas. I tweeted it for, and I, not to, not as sort of a, you know, combative kind of questioning, but... For anyone who is reluctant or was reluctant to see her take on the boys because uh, too much too soon, you know, girls against the boys, it can take too much out of them and then they're never the same again. I mean, if you crossed out the F at the top of her information little card there and you put a C in there, is it even like a question that she belongs? On figs, she is... I mean, unless you want to look at... Uh, no, I mean, she is. She's the fastest horse in the race. No one else has earned a 90 buyer. She has two of them. She has a 92 and a 93. I mean, she's the fastest horse in the race. So, if I've got my points already for the Oaks, I'm the fastest horse going into the Arkansas Derby. And now I have an opportunity. Let's say she runs second. I can choose from there if I want to go the first Friday in May against the girls or the first Saturday in May against the boys. 
I think the other thing to keep in mind with a filly like this, and this is going to be the th one of the things anyway, that I'm going to be most intrigued with to see from her. I think she's good. I, I Again, credit to whoever the, the listener was who pointed her out after that allowance race back on New Year's Eve. Because visually she's been awesome. Now, to be fair, she hasn't beaten much. But she's done it the right way. She opens up in the blink of an eye on horses. Like, bang, the minute Contreras tells her to go, she goes. I've mentioned that she reminds me a little bit of her dad, Arrowgate, in the way that she runs her action. I think she's going to appreciate more ground. She'll get a mile and an eight to work with on Saturday. That'll be the first time. I, I just, I, I see very little downside to running in this race. Oh, by the way, from a purse standpoint, this is a million, million and a quarter in the fantasy, which is run earlier on the card, is valued at 600,000. So she's running for 2x. She's the fastest going into it. I mean, why would you not run her? I think she is one of the most likely winners of the race. I acknowledge she needs to, she'll probably need to improve. Because again, Doppelganger looks like he's sitting on a forward move. If you believe in the rebel form, any of those boys could, could jump up. And then we still have two other wild cards we haven't talked about yet. Uh, I made Secret Oath 3 to 1. Now, from a gambling standpoint, she may be an underlay in here. Because if she goes off at something crazy, like 7 to 5, because it is the girl against the boys and people get all fired up about it. She's probably a bad bet at that point. It all depends on your view of her, your assessment. How likely a winner do you view her? I gave her 24%. Translates to 3 to 1 odds. If she's 3 to 1, I think that's fair. She's 2 to 1 against this group. While she is the fastest coming in, she's not head and shoulders the fastest. That would be an underlay. That's why you go through and price things out. I think Secret Oath is a likely winner of the Arkansas Derby on Saturday. Ben Diesel, I can't say the same thing. I made him 25 to 1. He comes out of the, the graded stakes races down there in Arkansas. I don't need to continue on about that. I just don't think it's a particularly good group so far. Uh, he is kind of interesting, though, in the fact that he ran reasonably fast in the Kentucky Jockey Club. Granted, he was close to a slow pace. He finished fourth behind three horses who have flattered the form. Smile Happy Classic Causeway White Abario tried the slop on New Year's Day. Forward, flattened out. Didn't love that, but the race came apart. The Southwest, he actually made a legitimate move into the teeth of the pace and then flattened out. And then he was just kind of even in the Rebel. If he could somehow get back to that Southwest, maybe he could hit the board. Maybe he also doesn't love Oakland. I don't know. He He's, I guess, of the Bombers. He's a little interesting to me, uh, but just a little interesting underneath at a big price. Cyberknife. Cyberknife, I think, is going to be the one that is one of the more polarizing entrants in here. I made him 6-1. to one. I like him. I don't love him. I have him and Doppelganger kind of on the same level. Cyberknife's interesting because the two races in his career he has had Lasix are the only two times he has earned an 80-plus buyer. The 87 he earned most recently at the fairgrounds. He's in the clear stalking throughout. He loomed. Flo had him in hand basically until the 8th pole, and then he gave him a little bit of a shake. Drifted out a little bit under left-handed urging. I still think he's a little bit green, figuring some things out. Um, you can see that Brad Cox has kind of played with bl blinkers, trying to you know unlock the horse's potential. 
the runner-up earning a 70 on Saturday behind Epicenter, that doesn't bother me too, too much. The fourth-place finisher earned an 85 in the next start, so perhaps that bodes well for Cyberknife. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not blown away when I see him run, but again, with the idea of the unknown, I would rather have the unexposed horse than the known commodity, which to this point isn't all that strong. Uh, Cyberknife, though, of the fresh faces, I have he and Doppelganger grouped together, and then I have, ahead of them, the grouping of Secret Oath and We the People. We the People breaks from the outside. Flavian Pratt goes into town to ride. Howard Kravitz tweeted it when I brought up the, the, the Philly question. I think he, he laid it out very well. He thinks that you're going to get a sort of Zozos-like performance from We the People. And I actually have written down here the run on March the 12th is very much in line with the Zozos performance prior to Saturday's Louisiana Derby, in which he was very close to a hot pace, and he kicked away down the lane, and he looked really good. The dynamics of the race don't project to be run so slow on Saturday, uh, but he figures to be forwardly placed. We saw Zozos go right to the front in Louisiana. Um, this horse was very eager early on. He wanted to go. Flo had him really, really hard-held, uh, and he was just better than that group. I, I would like to see Pratt let him run a little bit out of there, especially if this is a field that doesn't have a ton of speed. If Kavad goes from the inside, maybe We the People takes up that flanking position. I love that spot for him. Get first run on anybody else and take your chances from there. I think he's a pretty good horse. He's lightly raced. They're wheeling him back in three weeks. Uh, but but again, the, the notion to me of he's already run as fast, if not faster, than what the other Arkansas horses have. That gives him a little feather in the cap. Um, the, the new shooters, Doppelganger, he is on par with from a numbers standpoint. If you believe in the outfit behind Doppelganger as opposed to this, that's entirely up to you. I, I think Rudolph Brissett does a great job. I think the horse fits in here very well. I think the draw works. I think the running style works. There's a lot to like about this horse. I made him 3-1. to one. So I have We the People at 3-1, to one. And I also have Secret Oath at 3-1. to one. If I'm being honest, I think the filly is probably better. But, having said that, she has run six times, and We the People is still very lightly raced. There's nothing to suggest that we haven't... that we're even close to scratching the potential of We the People, which is interesting long-term, not just immediately. To me, it's a 6-9, it's 9-6 a nine, nine, kind of play, you know, Cyberknife and Doppelganger, I won't be stunned at all if they run big, if they win the race. I just don't know that I love either of them. And then the rest of the group, you can have. So for me, I, push comes to shove, I probably pick Secret Oath. Uh, but I do think We the People is legitimate. I'll be very curious to see how this whole race is run. Not just for the Secret Oath piece, but do any of these horses take a legitimate step forward, a step forward enough to suggest they could be contenders the first Saturday in May. Because at this juncture right now, what, five, six weeks out, none of these horses are fast enough to run with Epicenter or Forbidden Kingdom or Messier or, you know, I guess even if you want to include Simplification or whoever's going to go to Keeneland, Smile Happy, or any of these horses, Zandon. Early voting up in New York fits in with this group. And people have talked about him like he's terrible, which I think is wrong, but neither here nor there. Morello. Mo Donegal. I mean, there are a number of horses that are better than what we've seen to this point from this group of horses. 
Let me know what your thoughts are about the Arkansas Derby. It's a grade one. Winner gets 100 points. Second place finisher probably has enough points to get into the Kentucky Derby. Is a Philly going to be part of that? Or is she no good? Is she overrated? Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Let's finish up this week talking some hoops. Final four coming up on Saturday. Let's wrap up episode 109. Looking forward to the final four on Saturday. We'll start with the first game. Villanova and Kansas. It's the only bet that I've made so far. I have Kansas winning 70 to 68. It's a total of 138. The total as of Monday was 133. I'm playing over. And I know folks are going to make it. I, I get it. The kid for Villanova, the second leading scorer, he popped his Achilles. I, I saw that. I know, unfortunate, feel bad for the kid. But, and I'm sure many people question, how could you possibly take an over on Villanova after they just played a game with Houston where they didn't score more than 100 points total? Villanova in that game against Houston shot 28.8% from the field. That's the second worst percentage from the field for Villanova the entire season. They only shot less than 32%. Twice. That game and once against Baylor back at the beginning of December. You can't imagine. You can't, you can't expect that to happen again. Okay. So that's one reason. From three, they were miserable. Against Houston, they shot 23.8% from three. This tied for the fourth worst shooting percentage from deep of the entire season for this team. This is a team that, aside from what... I mean, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They had 10 games all year where they shot less than 30% from three. And on Saturday, Saturday or Sunday, whatever day it was, when they won, they beat Houston, they shot 23.8% from three and they shot 28.8% from the field overall. They're not going to play worse than that, I promise you. And Kansas, you saw what happened in that first half. A little helter-skelter early on. They're running all over the place. Nobody can hang on to the ball. And the second half, I said it to my wife when we were watching the game, you can just see the difference between a team that has an athlete or two. And when I say athlete or two, I mean, any Division I college basketball player is is an athlete. My point is of the, the elite of the elite. You can see the difference between one team that's got a couple guys and the other team that is loaded. And Kansas just took over in the second half. I think both of these teams are capable of getting well over 133. I have it projected at 138. One of my Sims had it out to 141. Do with that what you will. That's the only play that I've made so far. I have Kansas winning by two, 70 to 68. I've already played over 133. The second game. It's probably going to be one of the most watched college basketball games of all time. I, I would have to assume. I mean, this is it. Carolina and Duke with a spot in the national championship game on the line. The only thing bigger would be if it was for the national championship. I have Duke winning 81 to 75. Now, you could play the over right now. I guess I'm a little leery knowing that I've got a couple of projections with these teams shooting very, very well. I always get a little bit concerned when those numbers are too high for the off chance that they don't live up to my projection. And if that's the case, you don't have to be off by much to come under or get close to the total. So I'm a little gun-shy in that number right now. The sides, I believe last I saw, was Duke by four. 
Um, so that's something I'm probably going to keep an eye on. If for whatever reason that number stays in that six range, I can't imagine it moving up to six and a half or anything like that. But uh, excuse me, uh, four. I have it at six. If it comes down a little more into the three and a half to three range, you know, I'll probably be enticed enough to give it a look. But I, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it going too much the other way. I'd be stunned if it got out to, to five, five and a half. And I'd probably be surprised if it got into the three range, if we're being honest. I think kind of where it is, four, four and a half I could see. But uh, that's the only thought for me in that game between Duke and Carolina. And partially, those are the sort of games. There, there aren't many at this point in my life that I just am more curious to just watch the game than anything and not have any kind of a rooting interest. This is probably one of them. I don't care about either team. I'm not a fan of either team. But I'm a fan of stories. I'm a fan of this sort of, you know, I mean, this is it. This is Red Sox-Yankees. This is, you know, Cowboys-49ers. Whatever rivalry you want to go with, this is it. So I'm just very interested to watch the game on Saturday night. I think it's going to be fantastic. And again, I've got Duke winning 81-75. to No play right now. I will tweet, as I have been all throughout the college basketball season and all throughout the tournament as we get closer if there is going to be any kind of a play. But right now, the only play that I have already made, and I've already tweeted it out, is over 133 in the Jayhawks and Wildcats game. Um, I think it's going to be a great Final Four. You know, say what you will, the Elite Eight kind of sucked. But uh, of these four, who is the only one? I mean, I suppose if you said you could swap out Villanova for Kentucky. I mean, but that's about it. I mean, you, you've got the elite of the elite from a program standpoint, from a history standpoint. Uh, that would be the only tweak. And even that, you could really argue, given the trajectory that both teams have been on over the past 10 years. I mean, Villanova's been better than Kentucky as far as national championships are concerned, for sure. So uh, it's it's crazy that you've got you know, as good as it gets from a program standpoint, uh, historically, in the Final Four. Should be really fun. Let me know your thoughts about both of these games beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Again, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe however you listen. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, in the moneypodcast.com. Over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernie or show. You get this episode along with the 108 prior. And again, make sure the bell icon's lit up if you're over there on the In the Money Media channel. Because we've got new content all the time. The Players Podcast goes up all the time. Had a lot of great content from Sam Houston Race Park with Nick Tamaro. And uh, just overall, it's just been a, a fantastic little run of content. I think we've done a really good job. Don't want to forget Jess Paquette, um, who, who is the track analyst as well. Uh, but I just think it's, it's a channel that if you haven't checked it out before, if you're somebody who just listens to the audio, maybe you want to give it a look. Maybe we've got some other stuff coming down the pipeline. You never know. Got to keep eyes out. And the best way to do so is make sure the bell icon is lit up over on the channel. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded. Uh, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. That's going to do it for this week's show. When we come back next Monday, go over the three, or only two, I guess, but then previewing the upcoming three. We'll go over Arkansas Derby. We'll go over Florida Derby. Maybe we'll talk about the UAE Derby, but then we'll also look ahead to the big three coming up the following weekend. The Wood, the Bluegrass, and the Santa Anita Derby. Until then, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. It's been episode 109 of the Matt Bernier Show. <laughs>